Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Who Are You podcast brought to you by BiotropicLabs.com, sports performance for people who move. I've got a great one for you today with a gentleman named Seth Pepper, a sports performance psychologist who also, by the way, works with executives. If you're someone trying to get to a next level of performance, this is absolutely the man that you want to talk to. This is a guy who's been there and done that many times and knows exactly how to get you to where you want to go, having been there himself. I want to invite you to use the coupon code podcast podcast 20 for 20% off anything on the website. If you find something, try it out, use it with confidence and the burden of proof is on me. And if there's any reason it doesn't work for you, send it on back. No questions asked. I think you'll find something that works for you. Stand by while we tune in to Seth and find out how you make things work at the highest level of sports performance and how you can do the same. Because when you start this late in a sport, you're, you know, you're a young adult. And so you see, no offense, but you see the wreckage of, you know, like all these kids that started or keep doing their sport for what I would say the wrong reasons, you know, but it makes sense. Like maybe it's the parents' identity or maybe it's this or maybe it's that and, and they're just burnt out. They're just kind of wreckage. But when you are totally dialed in to a mission, I remember when I would spot people and, and normally like classic thing is, you know, we're look in this culture, I would say, or maybe worldwide, I don't know. We, when someone says, Oh, you have so much talent. Everyone talks about talent, talent, talent. We're like, that's the last thing I wanted to be described as. I mean, to me, that's an insult. I don't want to be described as talented. Now, I understand why someone might say that, and it makes sense. I'm not going to be correcting them or anything. But what I, I just wanted enough talent. I used to call it this equal quota where it was like I could put one pain unit in and I could get one unit of performance out. That's all I wanted. I didn't need things, the decks, the deck stacked in my favor because I felt like that wasn't, that wasn't going to, you know, lend itself to just me creating something, me working for something. I, I know, I know it sounds, you know, cliche, I guess, but it, you know, when, it, when I heard someone, I still remember these guys on my team coming up through the ranks and someone would say, Oh, well, Roger is, you know, it, he, he's so talented. And I remember thinking like, keep telling him that. And, and someday I'm going to eat him for lunch. You know, I just, in my head, I knew that, that talent made you, that it slowed growth, it, it, especially if you identified with it. I mean, of course, talent is always good to have. I'm not going to discount it. But as far as on a psychological level, if someone starts getting labeled as talented or you know, the next great thing, I mean, some people can manage that and work through it. But a lot of people, I just saw too many people that they got lazy. And, and I was always hungry, always hungry, and just kept on fighting for it. And, you know, I wanted to point out, too, that I've had coaches throughout the, because I work with athletes that are sometimes happy with their coach, and sometimes they're not. And, and so I don't really talk about that, this, that that much, but I point this out, too, that I had coaches that did not fit me. They were not a good fit. I'd have a distance coach when I was an all-out sprint coach. Had no idea what to do with me. Their their big stars were all these distance swimmers, and then here I was, this kind of freak gazelle, you know, like wanting to just drag race. So where did I fit in? But I mean, you know, the reason why I point that out is that you have to stay focused on your vision, and even with coaching, there's no excuses. No excuses. I had coaching that didn't fit, but I still kept my focus, and I still kept going. Luckily or willfully. I had eventually the best coaches 
um, but not until the end, not until the end. And so eventually when I did have those coaches, everything started to click. And then by the time I was a sophomore in, in college, I was second in the nation. So six years after starting this crazy dream, um, I was racing Anthony Nesty, the Olympic gold medalist, and beating him basically stroke for stroke, you know, the, the whole race. And then just like Anthony won his gold medal against Matt Biondi and out touching him in the end, he did the same thing to me. He did it to me not just once, he did it the next year. So I was second two years in a row. And then finally, by the time I was a senior, I was like, that's when I got, I can't say on your podcast, what I said in my head, but there was a <laughs> I know lot what of, you said. I know what of, you said. <laughs> there were a lot of f bombs in there. Like this is this is my f and race. F everything. I'm taking it. It's mine. It's done. It takes and, that and, kind of commitment. Made that, that is switch. Yeah. That is that switch. That is that commitment. In that moment, when you've had it, when you've just yeah. had it, no one has a chance against you. If you're in the club, and you were in the club. When I say in the club, I mean you were a competitor. You were a guy that was able to come from behind to win. So when you're that kind of athlete, forget it, man. What, that's it. You've made a decision. The race is already over. Yeah. I mean, I went into a whole nother level uh, that I didn't even know I had. And, but I knew it was in there. You know, it's interesting. I work with these athletes and um, I, I have this, I'll, I'll keep the, the story is pretty short, actually. Um, so again, we were talking about access. And, and so when I started doing the, what I do now with coaching, someone contacted me, I think it was on social media. I think I put up a meme on Instagram and it was basically what we're talking about, the power of the minds. And this guy, I had no idea who he was. He contacts me anonymously and, and says, uh, does this really work? And I said, yeah, it works. I mean, it works for me. It works for, you know, other people I've worked with. And, and he said, um, okay, well, I got this practice that's coming up. You know, this is on Monday. And he said, on Thursday, this important practice. You think you can help me? So I said, yeah, let's get on the phone. So we got on the phone, worked through some things. And I gave him, you know, what I do is I give people mental tools, you know. So I gave him a tool that I felt could work in a short distance of time. You know, is basically an access tool that here he's going to go to this practice that he cared about. And so he goes to the practice and then the next day he contacts me and he's just going crazy. He's like, I, I made it. And I was like, what do you mean you made it? I thought it was just a workout. He goes, no, no, the world champion Toronto Raptors, they, they took me. So it turned out that it was a tryout for the top NBA team. And the difference was that here he was, he was a minor league in the Gatorade League, the G League at the time. And when I started going and talking to different people that worked with the NBA, and I was saying, you know, sharing this story, they said, yeah, the difference between the minor leagues and the major leagues of professional sports is mental. Because you're all more or less, you know, you got the freaks, I, I, you know, the exceptionals, the Usain Bolts, you know, the, 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 the top, the world record holder. But in between, you know, the, to be in the final heat of the Olympics, minus those one or two guys, it's mental. The next places are mental. And so the difference between the minor leagues and the major leagues of these sports, which is millions of dollars, by the way, is uh, mental. It's between their ears. And it's access. That's what this guy was experiencing was, how can I get out of my own way? And so when I did that and helped him, his reaction was this overwhelming, just emotion. He was just, man, I love you, you know, and I was 
thank you. I appreciate that. I hadn't had someone that I just met say I, I, they love me. And I thought that was kind of neat. And then it happened with a pro soccer player. Same thing, saying the same thing. I was like, I must be on to something here. I don't like what is it's trying to piece it together. And then over time of having a pattern of this kind of release, I realized that it's, it's the access. It's, we know it's in there in, intuitively because we, why, that's our calling. We're shooting for the stars. Like we want to be the best. We want to be a champion. But the people that get up to the top of the podium and then the people that don't, what is, what's the difference? And to me, it's, it's this access. And so when these people come back to me and say, I love you, what I feel like I've interpreted as I am through the, the work that we do together, allowing them to give themselves back to themselves. I want to give them the ability to, to access. And I want to point out that um, this is a testament to how good you are at this stuff, because let's talk about the Toronto Raptors guy here, okay? You didn't even know what was at stake, and you produced the best possible outcome for him, which tells me that whatever anyone's asking of from you, whether you know what the outcome is or not, you're giving 100% of the stuff that you have to make sure these people succeed at the highest level, whatever their highest level was. And in some cases, it's presented to you as just a workout and you're still getting them on the team. So this is a statement of, I think, your own talent. Let's just back up for a second here because- I really deeply resonate with what you said a second ago is that the statement of, I got to a level I didn't even know I had, but it took something, it took a breakthrough to be able to look backwards. First of all, to in that moment, when you have that breakthrough and the success associated with it, you realize, holy shit, man, I can do it. I, I really can do it. A couple of things occur to me when I've had those moments. And, and, and one of them is, man, it, it's really hard to get here. And you almost don't believe hair can be gotten until you break through, which backing up, if you don't really know you can get there, how do you get there? What is the thing that gets you to that moment? You go, whoa, I've just broken through to a world I didn't know existed. Psychologically, I just blew my own mind. I really can do it. There's sort of a bunch of conundrums in here. It's like, well, I knew I could do it. That's why I was working that hard. But gee, it was so hard to get here. I wasn't sure I really could do it, but I knew I could do it. I'm just trying to ask you here as the man who deals with this every day, how do you get to a place you know exists, but you've never felt or seen before? There's two ways to get there. Some people get it on their own and some people get it through you. Many, many, many people get it through you. I call you the Seth Peppers of the world, Merlins, if you will. Everybody needs a Merlin and that's King Arthur's wizard in case anyone doesn't know who Merlin is. Merlin made King Arthur. Merlin's really the guy who put King Arthur in a position to pull the sword from the stone and take the throne of England and lead it through this great time. And a great sports psychologist is a Merlin. He does the same thing. He teaches the individual who comes to you to have a mental breakthrough, if you will, how to pull the sword from the stone and command his own internal empire, his own psychological empire to get to the next place. That's what you are. How do you do that? Well, it's, it's a sincere process. It, it comes from, I heal myself by helping others heal themselves. So it's a process of you give back. It's just a circular process. First of all, if I came from an academic standpoint, I don't have that mind. I'm one of those kids, I didn't get good grades, but I would learn things. I'd learn by rote, by repetition, by you know really going over things over and over and over until it became second nature. I could be a genius in that. 
But if someone just had a lot of different terminology and, and concepts, I would have struggled keeping that kind of in my, my mind because then I'd be imparting someone else's wisdom. And what I'm able to do now is to, when someone comes to me, like that basketball player, the NBA basketball player, the situation is kind of putting you on the spot and it's like a moment of truth. So I could have given him, yeah, try this theory, this technique. But really, I, I always start from me. So I always go, okay, if I was him and I had this workout coming out, and if I described it the way he described it, then this is what I would need. I've had the good fortune of being able to talk to the New York Yankees, the, the Mets, the, the, the Dallas Mavericks, the, you know, and then I just traveled over to Barcelona for the Formula One, you know, racing and met Sebastian Vettel, who's going to be considered one of the greats of all time as far as uh, yep. Um, yep. car racing. An, an incredible car racer, uh, by far among the two greatest uh, in the world at this yeah. time right now. Yeah, he's won four, and then Hamilton's won six. Hamilton, so he's yeah, Vettel be, and Hamilton. Yeah, he'll, he'll be in there. So to get to meet these people, and again, it's this direct attitude or approach that I have. I met them because I contacted them. I went straight to the people I wanted to meet with because you have to have a value too. So I have a value proposition. I want to share what I have to share, and I want to learn what you have, and, and then we inspire each other. But the interesting part about this is that like when I was, I actually had a conversation with the world champion, uh, world series champion, Terry Francona. And so, Boston uh, Red Sox, you know, other teams, Austin but Boston Red Sox. Red Sox, yeah, my homeland. Yeah. So when they beat the Yankees and finally beat the curse of the great Bambino, you know, he was at the helm. And so he also went to the University of Arizona and he was like a Hall of Famer bat baseball player there as well. But anyways, I'm talking to him. He had been introduced to me because he said the, the, a fellow coach had said, you got to meet Seth. He's doing this thing. You know, he's a mental coach, but he's, he coaches from personal experience. He's very unique. And then that's when Terry said, yeah, here's my cell phone. I want to I talk to him. I got to meet him. And so when I got on with him, it was right away. You know, he, he just went straight to it and he said, you know, Seth, there's six things that I would probably say makes a great athlete, uh, you know, one of the elite athletes. Let's just press this because that's one of my questions is what is the mindset of a great athlete? So give it to us, man. So he, he didn't go into the other five. The other five might have been other things, you know, as far as like training wise, but we were on the phone to talk about in particular the mental. So here he was, he said the six element is by far the most important out of all of them combined, but it's also the most overlooked. And so when I'm piecing this together, I have one of the greatest coaches of all time and also one of the great um, baseball players of all time saying this to me. You know, basically I'm a unicorn that, that I'm actually speaking from personal battlefield experience. I've been out there. I've had my entire career in the balance of one minute of performance. You know, where everything is on the line, like you, you put your entire everything, like six hours a day, six days a week of training physically, that's not even the mental stuff. And, and you put your life on hold to go after this one moment in time. Like I've been there. I've performed in front of thousands of people watching you, probably millions of people watching you on TV. And it's all out there, all exposed. Who are you? What are you made of? And so that's the battlefield. And so when someone comes to me and they're about to go out into the battlefield and they're saying, I'm, my life is on the line, I get it. Because that's really where I coach from. I coach from what I call mastery, 
Kobe is this great, uh, I, I think he's just an excellent example, especially since he shared as much as he did before he passed away. But it was all about, he had this famous saying, uh, failure is an illusion. And what he was really saying, if you, if you look into it, is that he lived a life of mastery. So he was finding fulfillment in the process not necessarily the the outcome. He wasn't outcome focused. So he was into the journey. He was in, he got as much fulfillment from workout as he did from competition. Do we really believe that the greatest joy for Kobe Bryant was the process and not the outcome and that he would have been happy as an NBA player without a single championship and that well in the end the process made it all worthwhile? <laughs> well, I was about to just say within reason, of course, you know, <laughs> you want to win the world championship. But the interesting part about that was when he was being interviewed right after winning this, this moment, the, the interviewer was like, so you're going to party for a week? You're going to celebrate? You're going to, you know, because everyone's always talking about partying so hard after a big win like that. He said, nope, I'm going to be in the gym tomorrow morning, five o'clock in the morning. It might have been a hype point in his accomplishments and very rewarding and it's kind of like you put together the puzzle and the puzzle all the pieces fit so of course you know you want the full circle of experience but then he was right back into the you know more or less the grind of it so that is the process so within reason he was finding how do I make this a process how am I always curious about getting better and if I'm always curious about getting better then you're not allowing the competition to define you that was a very interesting transition for me personally recently when we went into the isolation so once we went into lockdown because of the virus all of a sudden, it was this great lie detector where it was like, okay, all of the competitions are gone for all of my athletes instantaneously. Who saw that coming? That's never existed before. It's just gone. And so it, it me as a coach going, oh, I know how I would handle this, but this is going to be interesting to see how my athletes and my coaches handle this. And it was just, it was one of the most rewarding things, experiences in my life, because they all came to me and they all used the same, and I never really used this term, but they were using this term. Now's the time we double down. Now's the time we get ahead. And I was like, exactly, exactly. Like this is the time when everybody else might be caught up in this sort of distractive sort of what is this? Because as an athlete, you're always looking for your metrics, your guidance system. And when you don't have competition, and competition is all you identify as winning and losing, you're going to be lost. You're going to be very lost. And the fact that we would work on mastery, so we were always working on this process all the time. Yeah, it sucks that the competitions weren't there, but does it change anything? No, it changes the landscape. So for us, we had always worked from this metaphor of we're writing our life story. So our life story is our career that's both in our sport and beyond. And how do you write a book? You write it into chapters and chapters are your seasons. And then within each chapter, you have pages and your pages is, and this is part of our metaphor work was your page is your actions that you accomplish each day. That's how you're writing your own book as you are living it. And so when we went into it with that sort of mindset, then they could kind of put it in perspective in a big picture and say, I'm writing this book, I'm writing this chapter, I'm writing this, this page, and wow, this is a very interesting chapter. This is the chapter when all the competitions went away. We went into this kind of like prison cell kind of scenario. 
and my readers are going to be either bored because nothing happened and I lost myself or my readers are going to be completely captivated with what did he do next? What did she do next? Oh my gosh, I started training. And I have stories of this in my athletes where one of the top basketball players, he's out of Chicago and he couldn't leave his house because of very strict rules there. And so he's, he's got a weight system. I mean, it's like a jail cell. Like he's doing push-ups, he's doing it, and then he's going out. He has a back you know, rim in the backyard, and he's training. Like his intensity went up. It didn't go down. And then he's doing the mental work that we're doing. And he came, he's coming out with incredible amount of momentum. I just had, um, right before we got on, I got a text message. I, I work with, um, he's 12 years old. He's top 20 in the world in, in golf. And we've been doing all this, this training, uh, mental training. And his mom said he just did his first tournament and he got first. He won the tournament. He hasn't been in a tournament since November. He hasn't, you know, barely touched a golf club, you know, out on a golf course, except for recently. And, and here, all this work, he's just a different person out on the course. And it's all because of the work you guys have been doing together. So, yeah, I mean, it's really a rewarding process. It was really rewarding to have the competitions removed, actually. You know, if I could have a perfect scenario of a test, like, does this really work? Let's remove all the competition. If athletes over-identify with, with their winning and losing, they're at the mercy of a lot of times it's things they can't control. You can't control the competition. You can control you. And if you lose sometimes, you still win if you're taking control of your controllables. So, yeah. You have to take the I know lesson. I said a lot. No, no, that was great. That was great. You have to take the lesson and the loss. They're pretty big. And there are lessons in winning. You got to take those too. Most people don't take the lesson from the winning. Let me ask you a question here. What's the most common blockage that you deal with in your practice and how do you remove them? But what's the most common theme that you see and how do you get them through it? It's kind of ironic because I, I always feel like, at least personally, that the most powerful things are usually the most obvious things. Let's say water is an essential for us to drink, yet we will spend all this money on all these other drinks when water is such a valuable, obvious supplement, if you, if you will. And I don't want to actually <laughs> contrast anything that you're doing, but you know what I'm saying. And so the, the same thing with the mindset, you know, a lot of times it's the simplest things. The biggest part to answer that question is to help people get out of their own way. When people do something that's exceptional, all of a sudden they accomplish something. How do we describe that? A common way of describing that is like, man, she or he was out of their mind. They, they just performed out of their mind. What are they really saying? This person had experience of their ultimate potential. They were literally out of their mind. And then what, what do we hear more often than not? We, we usually hear it's a lot more common as the negative version, which is, oh, he choked, she choked. Yeah, they were winning all the way up until the final round. They were winning all the way up until the fourth quarter. They were winning until the last period. They were winning until, until, until. And it's basically they beat themselves. And so we hear that a lot more often. And so for me, it's being present, being in the moment. There's a lot of different phrases to describe basically the same thing. It just depends on the, the person, the audience, the generation, but we have in the moment, in the flow, the, the, the flow state, basically describing just being present and allowing for all that you are to just show up and to be almost like animal instinct, to be able to just perform at the best of your ability. And a lot of times that's getting the mind out of the way. What's in the way? 
I would say what's in the way usually your conscious mind. I mean, you hear about it in Buddhism where like meditation, where they'll talk about the monkey mind. So if you imagine your mind always trying to jump and control the steering wheel of your, of your mind, it's being able to just get into the flow of things and get out of your way. So a lot of times it's just trying to control things that really are only going to slow you down. I try to get people aware when you start to compare yourself to something, whether it's past performances of yourself or it's a competition that's right across from you, that's a comparison, that's an ego, that's a story, that's slow. That's like walking in molasses. If you want to really perform at a high level at speed, you know, the speed of light, you have to be in the moment. It has nothing to do with the story, their story. It has nothing to do with comparisons. It's, it's about being in your shoes that you're in right now and showing up. Just be aware, show up. And it sounds so simple, but it's a lot of times it's the hardest thing for people to do on a regular basis. And the elite athletes will appreciate it because once they get it, they'll go, oh, I had that game. I had that match. I had that race. And it was like time stood still and, and, and it went in slow motion. You know, like Pete Rose, one of the great hitters of, the, of baseball, would be facing like a curveball that's coming 80 miles an hour. And he said that when, when he was in the zone, in the moment, flow state, all of those, he said that the ball would slow down so slow that he could count the stitches on the ball. And people would go, oh, sure, sure. I've heard that he would have pitchers pitch at him, and then he could hit the ball. Then they would retrieve the ball, and he'd tell what part of the ball he actually hit because they could see the scuff mark. So he was actually slowing the ball down in his mind. And so in order to be able to do that, that's like super. Yeah, can I, can I, I was going to say, can that be learned? Because that sounds like a gift. Well, it can be learned. It's it, the, the trick of it, or the, the reality of it, let's say, is that it's not a constant state. So you don't stay there. Even the greatest Buddhist monks uh, have monkey mind. So they're constantly trying to find their center as well. It's the human condition. But you can become more present more often. You can get into the moment more often. Now, it takes subtle work for dramatic changes and results. That's the irony again, is that it's so simple and it's so subtle that it's easy for people to overcomplicate over it and go, oh, well, it's outside of me. It's over there. It's that. It's the, I need the next great thing. When a lot of times it's right between your ears, but because it's right between your ears, it's so easily overlooked. And we live in a world of distraction. So what are we going to do? We're going to pick up our phone and we're going to be focused on someone else's story or something happened in the past. Even if it's social media and it feels like it's instantaneous, it's still re referencing something in the past. So we live in a world that's constantly trying to distract you because if you're distracted, then someone might be able to sell you something, you know, and the advertising dollar is all generated on eyeballs. And so the world wants you to be distracted. So if you're going to be a creative person and you're going to go out in the world and do something, I try to get people to put their phone down, first of all, and get <laughs> in luck. front of a blank, yeah, get in front of, you know, metaphorically speaking, get in front of a blank piece of paper and start creating the, the world that they want to live. And I have a phrase that I work with that I use with the people I work with, which is baby steps to a quantum leap.
And so what that is, is baby steps, is little micro adjustments, little changes. I call them fearless action items, things that you can do each day, two or three things you can do each day. And then that builds up and you do that enough times, you build momentum. And when you get momentum, then momentum naturally goes into confidence. And once you get confidence, that's like the 10... 10x factor. And once you get to confidence, then that changes everything because that's ultimately what we want. We want confidence. But how do we get to confidence? A bunch of little steps, a little steps, the little baby steps that lead up to, you know, the momentum, which turns into confidence. And the interesting part about confidence is that you will get direct results because the little baby steps are always focused on a goal. So we do like micro steps towards that goal. So you'll get a direct result. You'll get closer to that goal or you'll get that goal. So that'll be a direct result of confidence. But what I find even more interesting is the indirect results that come from confidence. Like all of a sudden you start to, to get confidence and you start to find yourself around different people with different conversations. People that aren't, you know, what I call crabs in the bucket. All of a sudden, you know, with crabs in the bucket, you know, is, is that you don't have to put a lid on it because as soon as a crab starts to reach for the top and get out, the other crabs pull you back down. You know, that's like hanging out with people that are just trying to keep focused on, on limiting beliefs. But if you are a person that is going to go out and and do something, the road less traveled, you're going to have to develop confidence. And with confidence, you'll start to find yourself around people that are confident. Encourage your confidence. They don't feel threatened by your confidence. So all kinds of magical things happen once you start to build confidence. What kind of individuals or mindsets cannot make the next step? I would have to say I'm, a, I'm an optimist, so I, I would have to say everyone, <laughs> relatively speaking, can make it. Okay, so I always start with this. It may look like I'm working with just athletes to be great athletes, but I start from a bigger picture, and I'll always say, are you interested in developing as a human being? Because my basic principle is the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, is that you have to look into the mirror of life and you have to work on the things that are things that obviously already strengths, but also you're, you're going to develop in your weaknesses and you're going to just have to see things for what they are. And awareness is the first step of change. So if you're not willing to look into the mirror, if all you want to do is throw a ball faster, you know, or higher or farther, and that's it. And you don't want to develop yourself as a person. I need a toehold. I need some leverage for us to be able to go somewhere. So if a person's willing to work on themselves, I feel like I can improve their performance in all areas of life, that we're really working on life skills. These are life skills that will serve you in your sport and way beyond your sport. Just changes the way you look at life and it makes you feel like you can control your life. You can control your destiny more or less, more or less. You know, you still have to make adjustments along the way. Like I say, I use this analogy that we're an airplane And we need to know our destination. So that's your ultimate goal. But if you watch a pilot, they're constantly doing micro adjustments the entire route. We're going to have to do micro adjustments the whole journey, but we're going to take off with this intent to go to this destination. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode two and stand by for episode three. It's on the way. You've been listening to the Who Are You podcast, brought to you by Biotropic Labs, sports performance supplements for people who move. Join us next time for another edition of the Who Are You podcast.